Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Many years ago, in a small European town, there came a traveler. And the traveler was a devout religious man. And upon arriving into the city, he immediately headed to the beautiful cathedral in the middle of town. And there, he sees an older woman kneeling and praying before the statue of the Virgin Mary. And as he enters the cathedral, he is greeted by the local priest who was well respected throughout the land. And the traveler, as he spoke to the priest, he said, I'm only passing through. But in seeing the devotion of the older woman, weeping and kneeling before the statue of Mary, I feel like I should stay a while that I may become as devout as she. And the priest replied, looks can be deceiving young man. That old woman you saw kneeling before Mary, she wasn't always old and frail. You see, once she was a beautiful maiden, the envy of every woman in the land. And there came a famous sculptor from London who used her as a muse for the statue of Mary that you saw when you came in. So you see, she is not worshiping the Lord. She is worshiping who she used to be. As we, as we turn to chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to expose the religious hypocrisy of the people in his day. And to the first century Jew, there were three great cardinal works of the religious life. Charity, prayer, and fasting. And Jesus didn't have a problem with any of these things. He just had a problem with the motive in which they were being done. So in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, Jesus tackles three issues. Uh, And uh, once again, we won't have time to do this uh, a verse-by-verse exposition of Matthew chapter 6, but we do encourage you to utilize the reading plan found in your Prodigal app. Uh, And that way you can dig into the Sermon on the Mount in your own time throughout this series. And I promise it really will be a blessing to you. And so Jesus speaks into the three great works of the religious life in his day, giving, praying, and fasting. And I'll read the scriptures in a bit, but let me summarize what he says. He says, when you give, do it in secret so that you don't get all the props and kudos. He says, when you pray, don't do it to show off how spiritual you are. And when you fast, don't let anyone know you're fasting. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus He's not speaking ill of these great works. He's exposing the reasons in which we do them. Notice he never says don't give. He never says don't pray. He never says don't fast. Rather, he assumes that we will be doing these things. He says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He's saying do those things, great. But are you doing those things out of the overflow of God's love for you and your love for him? Or are you doing those things so that people are going to think you're a really spiritual person? This is what he says about giving. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. To be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
in the time of Jesus, it is said that there was a special out-of-the-way place inside the temple where shy, humble Jewish people could leave their gifts without being noticed. Another place nearby was provided for the shy poor who didn't want to be seen asking for help. And here, they would come and take what they needed. The name of this place was said to be the Chamber of the Silent. People gave and people were helped, but no one knew the identities of either group. That is true spirituality. Famous pastor Charles Spurgeon and his wife, they would sell and refuse to give away the eggs that their chickens laid. Even close relatives were told, you may have some eggs if you pay for them. And as a result, people began to label the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping. They accepted the criticisms without defending themselves. And it was only after uh, Mr. Spurgeon died that the full story was revealed that all the profits from the sale of eggs went to support two elderly widows. And because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing, they endured the attacks in silence. And Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The right hand was considered the primary hand of action. In a normal day's work, it was the right hand that would do all kinds of things throughout the manner of a day. And Jesus is saying, true spirituality gives, is generous in secret, not to be seen by other people. And here at Prodigal, we help you with this. Okay, We have never passed the tithing buckets around our church so that we can see who donates and who doesn't donate. No. And I don't look at who gives and who doesn't give. So if you're giving lots of money to Prodigal Church, uh, maybe trying to show off how generous you are or perhaps get a bigger blessing, uh, your gift is in secret because I don't see it. Um, it's more spiritual that way for you. And I just want to say thanks so much for giving in secret to Prodigal. Uh, it means the world to us. Your generosity has remained strong in the middle of a global pandemic. We have been able to continue to pay our staff. We have been able to send money overseas to continue to do ministry because of what you have done in secret and because you have given online. So thank you. Uh, after teaching on giving, Jesus moves to prayer. And he gives much more instructions. The prayer that opened this sermon, right? The, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I grew up, it was called uh, Our Father. And Jesus teaches us how to pray in this way. But he says a lot more than that. He says in verse 5, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret reward you. Uh, go into your room and close the door. Who has time for that kind of intentionality? That's for the really spiritual. That's for the saints. That's for the pastors that are out there. No, no. That is for the Christian. That is for the Christ follower. I read a book years ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. In prayer is not something that you add to your day to make your life busier. No, prayer is something that makes every part of your day more intentional. 
Let me say it again. Prayer is not something that you add to your day that to make your life busier. Prayer is something that makes every part of your day more intentional, more life-giving, more in tune with God's Spirit. Have you ever seen this sign before? Caution, bump ahead, reduce speed. When I was a youth pastor, we would rent 15 passenger vans for youth trips. And so we'd have a ton of students in the van and I would see one of these signs, caution, bump ahead, reduce speed. And instead of slowing down, because it was a rental van, I accelerated. And I wouldn't even look at, I wouldn't even look through the window ahead of me. I would look at the rear view mirror so that I could see those students in the back of the van and I could see them be lifted up and hitting their heads or shoulders on the ceiling of the van. And it was hilarious. With the pace of our lives, we should slow down. We shouldn't accelerate. But we hurry, we rush, we fill our days. We're too busy to pray. The world is always saying speed up and God is always saying slow down. In taking regular time to pray, is slowing down. That is the rhythm of Jesus. The way of life that Jesus offers is not a life of hurry. I learned the value of withdrawing and being alone with God when I was 19 years old. Uh, I lived uh, with 15 other people, uh, Malawians, Mozambicans, Europeans, and each day we would be together and we would learn from some of the most wonderful, amazing men and women of God I've ever met. Pastors, missionaries from all over Southeastern Africa would come and they would teach us. And I still have the notes of all the lessons that they taught me when I was 19. And one came in, one pastor came in and he did some teaching on spiritual warfare. And he told us this story of him going to the, this random small village in Africa, proclaiming the gospel. And the witch doctor of the village came out to oppose him. And so as he entered the village one morning, the people were all gathered on each side of the road. And the witch doctor met him. And she said, if you don't leave this village, I will do to you what I'm going to do to this rodent. And the rodent began to go across the path. And she snapped her fingers and the rodent fell dead. She picked it up and threw it to the side. And this missionary, this pastor begins to freak out as would any of us. And this witch doctor made eye contact with him, just stared. And the pastor's kind of praying silently, God, help me. I need your help here. But he's also terrified. And all they did was look into each other's eyes. It's, it felt like minutes, but it was probably moments. He said nothing. And after what seemed like forever, the witch doctor turned and ran away. And that night, the, the very missionary led this witch doctor to Jesus. Uh, the witch doctor said, when I stared into your eyes, the power of God that was there was more powerful and greater than anything I'd ever seen before. This pastor, who had the fire and power of God in his eyes, to handle a showdown with a witch doctor in a village. This guy came and taught us about spiritual warfare and how the weapons we fight with are not of this world. They're not flesh and blood, but they're principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And these teachings were amazing. But the most powerful times for me was not listening to these amazing pastors and missionaries, 
the most powerful times for me and God when I was in Africa, when I was 19 years old, was just me and him. Opening up the scriptures beside a candle or on a rock overlooking the landscape of the Malawian countryside. My alone times with Jesus were more powerful and more formative in my life than world-class teachers, theologians, pastors, and missionaries. I still have journal entries that relay the same thing. Uh, the most powerful times for me came from withdrawing from everything else and being alone with God. Now, I hope that you all get something from our Sunday morning teachings. Uh, but I think, and I hope, that you will get more from spending alone time with God. For some of you, this may be the one thing that you need to hear throughout this whole Sermon on the Mount series, that, that it is necessary, good, true, and beautiful to withdraw to meet with the divine. doesn't need to be on a mountainside. doesn't need to be in the, under candlelight. Uh, it could be uh, on your couch. It could be in your backyard. It could be at Starbucks. There will always be other things to do, but prayer is always time well spent. N.T. Wright says this of prayer. He says, prayer at its lowest is a shouting into a void on the off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of his reality, generosity, delight, and grace. Now, for some of us, this teaching can feel like a burden because we've grown up in a Christian culture where too much emphasis has been put on personal devotions or quiet times. And perhaps you begin to feel an angst in your own spirit of, I just don't pray enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. And I just want to say that no one prays enough. I have never met a Christian who prays enough or who feels like they pray enough. But I really believe this, that that internal angst, that, that I don't pray enough, I should do more. What if it's not God making you feel bad for not being spiritual enough? What if it's God drawing you closer because he missed you? What if it's God drawing you back in and nearer to him because he loves you and he loves spending time with you? Don't see it as a burden or guilt. See it for what it truly is, an invitation for a closer relationship with the divine. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. In 2013, I uh, officiated the funeral of a man named Matthew. And Matt, he was one of a kind. Uh, he was the, the first graduating class of Clovis High in 1970. He received his diploma in the mail because they uh, didn't want him at the school. Okay? He didn't have perfect attendance or perfect behavior, if you know where I'm going. But he was an overcomer. The words, I can't, were never in his vocabulary. And the things he did, they were amazing. Uh, Matt was blind most of his life. His perseverance was unbelievable. 
And in the accident that caused his blindness, he found strength not to give up. It was written on his medical chart in the hospital that this man was not saved by human hands. Throughout his life, he had over 86 major surgeries lasting 12 hours or more. Uh, in fact, he died on the operating table many times. And after living an extremely rough, wild life, Matt got sober in 1987 and he found purpose in helping others. Hundreds of people were at his house over the years because Matt was helping them get sober, as he once did. He once turned two sheds in his house into living quarters. And at one point, he had 17 people uh, living in his house getting sober in a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. Uh, early in his friend's sobriety, uh, his friend had to travel to Washington but felt like he was maybe not going to be able to, to with, with, withstand the temptation, and so Matt went with him. Many years ago, Matt uh, was just a handful of years sober, and he shared a story, and a kid went up to him and said, you saved my life tonight. I had plans to kill myself earlier today, but I knew that this mandatory meeting would, would mess me up, so I decided to wait Go kill myself after tonight's service. But after hearing you talk tonight, you inspired me to live. He says, I can never repay you for what you have done. I don't own anything. I don't even own the clothes that are on my back right now. All I own in this life is this turquoise necklace that I made. And it's my way of saying thank you. And he gave it to Matt. And it was Matt's prized possession. One of my favorite stories of Matt was uh, him and the way he helped his friend Mark. So Mark went up to him and started to describe and complain all the things that were difficult in his life. And Matt, he was a phenomenal listener. And so uh, as he's listening, he says, are you done yet? And the guy says, yeah. He says, well, you need to give this guy a call right now. And Matt, and he says, and ask if he needs anything. And he gives Mark that number. Mark calls him. And, and Mark, as, he, as he's talking to the guy, he finds out that this guy had just lost his wife. And so he sits there and listens and talks to the guy for 30, 45 minutes. Then he calls Matt back and he says, Matt, why would you have me call this guy? The guy just lost his wife. And Matt said this, when you suffer alongside of others and help them, your own suffering is diminished. Wow. His story is incredible. And the reason I know so much about the life of Matt is because Matt's son attends our church. Matt's grandkids are a part of our kids' ministry. And you know what the most powerful thing I learned about Matt? Every night before bed, he would throw his wallet underneath his bed to ensure that the last thing he does before he sleeps it each night is to pray to God on his knees. And it also ensures that the first thing he does every morning is to get on his knees and pray before God. Wow. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. 
Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Let's pray. God, I pray that the religious acts of giving, praying, and fasting would lead us to closer relationships with you and others. That we wouldn't use them as spiritual makeup to put on a mask, to make us look better than we actually are. But it would lead us into greater love of you and greater love of neighbor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.